Satan Jones, you're listening to Sitting Under a Tree. <laughs> for Tuesday, the 30th of January, 2024. Yeah, all right. Hey, that's a good joke to open the podcast, isn't it? I, you know what? I'll let you in on a little secret. I recorded it and I forgot what I say at the start, so I fucking deleted it and recorded it again because I wanted to get it fucking right. Because if you think of something funny to do, you might as well get it right. How's something going to be funny if it's not right? That's the first thing you learn at the School of Hard Knock Knocks Jokesters Academy is things that are right are fun. It's funnier when it's right. <laughs> you got to be right. How can you be funny if you're not first right? Ah, <sighs> bit of tea, I reckon. How are you guys doing? Oh, that is a perfect tea. Come on, it's been a while. And it's been a while since I have had a perfect tea. It's like 10, 20 past 10 at night. I should probably stop fucking screaming. You know what? This is why I need to get my own house. So when I record a podcast late at night and I want to scream, the only people who I'm upsetting are going to be people <laughs> with with whom I do not share a rental agreement. Someone on a different lease. If you're not on the same lease as me, I don't give a fuck about your feelings. You know? I care about three people in this world. The three people who have to put money into my account so that I can pay rent on the 28th of every month. That's my ride or die crew. <sighs> what am I talking about, man? What is what is up? It's good, dude. You know what? I'm really excited to be doing the podcast right now because I've had a long day at work, doing the tours, um, you know what, when did I last pod, what did I work, last week I worked Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then I had Sunday, Monday off, and then I just worked today, Tuesday as well, I'm just fucking, I'm gonna be rolling in cash when payday comes next Thursday, I just, fuck, there's still a whole nother podcast before I get paid again, money's tight, but I am saving, I'm paying off my debts. I'm doing it, all right? But, um, yeah, man, I had a long-ass week at work. I did uh, I did the um, familiarization tour, like just going on someone else's tour of the Grampians. Dude, the Grampians fucking cut sick. The Grampians is so dope. I'd never been up there. Maybe I'd been a, a couple times when I was a kid. Um... But, like, I've never been as, like, a grown, you know, a fully grown man with a beard. And uh, there's a lot of... I, the Grampians was... Uh, oh, fuck. Garwaj. Oh, fucking... What's the indigenous name? Okay, Google. Well, 
fuck you. <laughs> How humiliating is it when Google, when you go to talk to Google and it just doesn't reply? <laughs> You're just staring at your phone. Oh my God. Indigenous name for Grampians. Garraward. Yeah, all right, mate. Garraward. That was enough. Thank you. You fucking speak when spoken to. <laughs> Garraward. And it was, um, there, there were like up to five, I think, language groups around the Grampians. And, uh, they all had the same name for it because it was such a rich kind of lush place full of food and, you know, where they would all go. And so I guess necessarily that meant that they would all, all the groups in the area, all the language groups, the nations, whatever. I actually, I don't know how to refer to these different groups of indigenous people. There's a weird thing, man, in my tour, I talk about William Buckley, um, who's this guy who was a convict, in a failed settlement around Melbourne in 1802 and he escaped and then went on to live with, uh, I believe the Watharong people around like Geelong and, uh, learnt the language and took a wife and had a kid. And then in, I've got to check these dates as well. Uh, when did William, no, fuck. <laughs> when did John Batman found Melbourne? This is all stuff that I should know, isn't it? Oh, I'm right. I'm right. 1835. When John Batman came back in 1835 and founded the settlement that came to be known as Melbourne, there was this one white guy living with the indigenous people and that was William Buckley. But when I tell the story, I just, I can't, like there's parts of it where I refer to the indigenous group and I don't know whether to call them a tribe, you know? It's like, are they a tribe? But is that like demeaning or you know kind of treating them as if they're like inferior because a tribe is like ooga booga you know <laughs> <laughs> like it has connotations of like <laughs> <laughs> fuck <laughs> and I'm <laughs> I'm trying to steer clear of Ooga Booga. I'm trying to not. I'm trying to fucking put some respect on their name, you know? And it's hard because you want to use the right words, but you also don't want to get bogged down in language because you're just trying to communicate the reality of the story as you understand it. So, yeah, I don't really know how to talk about them or refer to them. I met this cool indigenous chick last week after one of my tours and uh, she gave me a number and we're going to meet up and have what she described as a yarn, <laughs> which I'm led to believe is some sort of, uh, you know, indigenous patois. She said, let's have a yarn. I think she just meant let's hang out, but I want to fucking ask her hell quick. I want to ask her questions like that. You know what? I'm going to write down. <laughs> or maybe I'll have her on the pod. Fuck. Questions. Four, and then I'll put her name that I won't say now until she agrees to come on the pod, which she might not. Anyway, what to call a tribe? Yeah, group, whatever. Cool. 
maybe that'll be a good, you know, start of a conversation with her. Um, she was real cool, man. We vibed. We were vibing. She's just a dope person and she clearly gives a fuck about Indigenous, you know, the questions around it and whatever and puts that into her tour and um, it just made me feel very excited because I guess as you've probably heard if you listen to the podcast, I've been thinking about Indigenous stuff a lot lately and I want to learn about it wherever I can. So, you know what? Fuck, and I'm going to message that chick and get coffee with her maybe this week. We'll see. Anyway, so I went to the Grampians last week on the Wednesday and then led the tour there on the Friday, having only been there one time before. And uh, compared to the Great Ocean Road Tour, the Grampians Tour is the fucking Badlands because, oh, by the way, I was out there on Australia Day. Happy Australia Day slash, you know, Invasion Day. By the way, for Friday, I don't know if anyone celebrated. I don't, yeah. It was interesting to take a tour out on Australia Day. Because I kind of got to explain, like, I don't think any of them were, maybe there was one Australian, I can't remember anyway, but, like, it was cool to be able to, yeah, there was, there was one Australian. It was cool to be able to talk a little bit during the tour about Australia Day and where I stand with it and where we're at as a country with it and try and kind of give both sides of opinion about the day and to a bunch of people who, you know, aren't from Australia who are just here for a holiday and happened to be here on, they didn't realise, a very politically charged day for almost all the country. You know what I saw on Australia Day in one of these country towns? Was that maybe in, I think it was in Hall's Gap? Um, no, it was in Beaufort. It was in Beaufort. I went into the cafe to get my coffee and... Uh, some guy and it was just, you know, it was a kind of cafe like there were probably eight or ten people in their 50s and 60s or white people sitting around in the cafe and this one dude walked in, draped in an Australian flag with Australian flags on um, like toothpicks all stuck in his hat <laughs> and it would have been like 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. or something and uh, he walked in and he was old as well, like all the rest of them. And then, and they all clapped. He got a round of applause for that. Um, and it was a very defiant round of applause, you know, like, fuck you, we're celebrating Australia Day. And um, it was just interesting, you know, because that's how some people feel. Some people feel like uh, wanting to include Indigenous people in Australia Day is some kind of an attack on them. Um, which I don't think it is. Well, I mean, I, that's not how I see it, but I guess, you know what? I shouldn't say that it's not. That's how they feel. And there's reasons that they feel like that. And I think it's important to show both sides. And anyway, I went to the Grampians. You know what? Should I read this fucking... Did I tell that story about my grandpa the other day, the other the other week on the pod? Let me see when I got that email from my grandpa, my grandpa... Six days ago. I wouldn't have talked about it. That's sick. I can talk about that. Maybe I'll read the email from my grandpa at the end. Or maybe I'll read it right now and stop trying to bookend the podcast with interesting shit. I uh, I emailed my grandpa to... Basically because I got that review about my tour and where the guy was like, Aiden was banging on about how the Aboriginals are mistreated. 
And I was talking, that's right, I was talking last week on the podcast about how I could email my grandpa and ask him about the story from our family where the guy he bought the farm off of uh, had bragged about killing 800 Aboriginal people. And I got, you know what, I'll just read the email from him. It's kind of hard to decipher. I actually told myself I was going to read it again and I didn't. But here we go, I'll read it again now. You know what I like about the emails of me and my grandpa? The first and the last uh, like sentences are always just about like trivial shit, like what we're doing with the garden or you know what I mean? And then the middle is like the meat. I want to read the whole thing. Fuck it. Hi, Aiden. Good to hear from you and that you are making relish like Lena does. That's my grandma. She's been preserving peaches, apricots and tomatoes while I've been drying peaches, plums, apricots and tomatoes. We spent a lot of effort in life to get to this, which is a great comfort to us. How fucking dope is that, man? Regarding the history of colonization, yes, you can talk from family knowledge and what you have learned along the way, but also from researching facts and accounts in print. I should do this. It would be best to be able to quote or present references as to where others might find more information. Never underestimate the strength or stupidity of those who oppose these findings. So be thorough in documenting your sources. The links at the top of this page, I'll explain along the way. It wasn't the bloke who we bought Poverty Point from, that was their farm, who told that story. I figure it was nearly 50 years ago that we were on a combined outing with the Millicent Field Naturalists who were represented by Bruce Towers. He was involved as the local contact with the South Australian Museum or University were doing an anthropological dig at Mount Burr. It was he who first told me, if you want a friend, you must be a friend. That's nice. So that's Bruce Towers. And Charles Pawsey. Charles Pawsey was an expert on plants and birds along with a host of other things to do with natural history. Right, so 50 years ago he was on an outing with field naturalists from Millicent um, who were represented by Bruce Towers and Charles Pawsey. Both were long-time members of the National Trust. As a side story, fucking, this is another story, mate. He's always getting distracted. And you know what? This is the story that I thought was real good meat for the tour. When Maggie died, the last Maggie was the last full-blooded Aborigine in the Mount Benson area. So that's an area in South Australia. I understand that she was about nine years old when the first whites were seen by her and she was the last by the end of her days, right? So this is a side story. This lady, Maggie, was the last full-blooded Aborigine, is how my grandpa's put it, um, in the Mount Benson area. She was nine years old when the white people first came to that area and she was the last one. By the end of her days, she was the last one maybe even full blood i mean full blood is you know whatever as a term but maybe even just the last person before white people came there alex barrowman a grandson of miss hutchinson miss hutchinson of hutchinson and dunn fame who bought a block of land uh, who i bought a block of land in robe from was in the national trust at robe decided to acknowledge the place where maggie died with a proper marble tombstone okay so Alex Barrowman, a grandson of fucking whoever, <laughs> Hutchison and Dunn, fucking hell. It really goes into it. Um, uh, and grandson of Mrs. Hutchison, who my grandpa bought a block of land from in Robe one time. All right. 
Um, this guy was up from the National Trust and decided to acknowledge Maggie, this uh, full-blooded Aboriginal lady, um, and the place where she died with a proper marble tombstone suitably inscribed. Charles at Millicent. Now, is that one of these guys? Charles Porty, yes. Charles at Millicent offered to take charge as he had uh, as he had the right contacts and after many months took possession of it of the tombstone by this time robe branch had second thoughts as to the appropriateness of a white man's tombstone on maggie's grave sensitive i like that right that's good thought so charles kept it and the years went by and to get it out of his shed (laughs) he stood it near a tree at the back of his paddock Right? Then years later, a survey mob were mapping the southeast and lo and behold, the spot where Charles put the tombstone is now marked as an Aboriginal burial site. (laughs) That's a fucking sick story. And this is just the side story. So... (laughs) God, that's so good. Um... So basically, the this this lady in uh, what was the area again? Mount Benson. This lady Maggie was yeah the last Indigenous person alive who was also alive when the first white people came to the area. And when she died, the locals thought it'd be nice to get her a, a white marble tombstone. But then once the tombstone was made, they had second thoughts and were like, well, maybe it's not appropriate because she's not you know it's not in her culture. And so some fucking guy just had it. <laughs> he was just like, well, I've got this fucking white marble tombstone with this Aboriginal lady's name on it just in my shed and it's really bumming me out. <laughs> As it would. <coughs> Imagine just having a dead person's tombstone not in your family, just in your shed. And more than that, it's, a, it's a, an Aboriginal person if you're from Australia and you understand the kind of full cultural connotations of that spooky shit. So what did he do? He just put it out up next to a tree and it would have been heavy. It's marble, you know, and that's hard to ensure. And, um, and then some people ma- mapped the southeast, surveying the southeast and didn't tell anyone, but they marked it as an Aboriginal burial ground. And then years later, that spot is marked as an aboriginal burial ground on like official maps fuck that's so funny all right anyway so that's the side story so let me go back to the 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 framing story this is where i kind of didn't understand it i figure it was 50 years ago we're on a combined outing with the millicent field naturalists who were represented by bruce towers and charles porcy so that story was from charles porcy now Pap, my grandpa, 50 years ago, was on an outing with Millicent Field Naturalist, Charles Porcy, and Bruce Towers. And uh, it was these two blokes that day, 50 years ago, who told me that while at a natural trust meeting in Mount Gambia, the night before that, a member told them that his forebears were the first wheeled cart to travel from Wellington to Mount Gambia on that journey and on that journey they shot 840 Aborigines 
the Leak brothers may have been leading that group and it is reported that they were into rape and murder. Perhaps that is a good place to start your own research. I'll send another instalment as soon as I should pass as uh, soon as I should pass on some of my stories, especially now that I have found Trove. Cheers, Pap. So that's it. 50 years ago, my grandpa was at a meeting with some people from Millicent and they told him that the night before in a meeting of the National Trust in Mount Gambia, that a member of the National Trust told them that his forebears were on the first wheeled cart to travel from Wellington to Mount Gambia. Now, guys, I'm just going to ask you to pull out your maps here, which of course you will have handy. Wellington in New Zealand? No, Wellington in South Australia. Wellington is, okay, yeah, Wellington to Mount Gambia. That is 347 kilometres. Wellington is just up kind of near Murray Bridge and Lake Alexandria, about an hour away from Adelaide, maybe an hour and a half. And Mount Gambia is in the southeastern corner of South Australia. They were the first ones to do that. So they travelled 350 k's on a wheeled cart and they shot 840 Aborigines then. That's fucked, isn't it? <sighs> anyway, yeah, they're kind of hard to decipher these emails from my grandpa at times. Like, I mean, as you can probably tell from that exercise just there, but they're well worth deciphering. Maybe I'm still trying to figure out what I'm going to do tomorrow. I was thinking of doing, um, I don't know, trying to do some fucking future marketing for my new show, but you know what? Maybe I won't. Maybe I will do a little bit of that reading because that sounds like a nice thing to do, doesn't it? Maybe I'll wake up first thing and do that. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm really loving this tour guide job, man. It, f- it makes me feel connected. I've been reading this book by Stuart Lee. I read first like 10 years ago, How I Escaped My Certain Fate, The Life and Deaths of a Stand-Up Comedian. And it's all about how he was a comedian in the 90s and didn't really get a lot of success or money. And then in his early 30s, he kind of gave it up without any fanfare and then eventually, you know, went off into some other pursuits, wrote a musical, did all this stuff. And then the musical was... um, was very successful but then the religious right shut it shut it down it's this whole story it was about three or four years away from stand-up but in that time he also found a renewed love of stand-up and uh so he came back to it with this kind of renewed passion and then he wrote three shows that were uh 90s comedian and then no what was it it was 90s comedian and then something else and then 41st best stand-up, whatever. Three great shows that ended up um, kind of solidifying his place as one of the great comics of the 2000s and, you know, that was kind of where I picked up his trail was the 41st best stand-up show, the third one. Um, It just kind of solidified his reputation and then it's got – the book is he's transcribed the shows and then – annotated them with descriptions of how he came to these ideas what he was trying to do what it meant all this kind of stuff and it's fucking awesome such a good book and in reading it i'm understanding a lot about his creative process especially like i first read it 
you know, 10 years ago when I was just starting stand-up. And I remember taking things from it then, but I feel like now, you know, with new eyes and another 10 years of experience of the industry and the craft and all of that, I'm taking different things from it. And one thing that it's just reminded me of is to not be afraid to be unlikable. And I just, I'm so... I'm so impressed with his conviction in what he's doing. Like he knows the value of what he's doing and he's not afraid to, uh, he's not afraid of people not liking it in the audience because he trusts that there are people out there who will like it. And so he knows not to compromise what he's doing by bending to the will of the audience in front of you and trying to impress them which is really counterintuitive because, you know, the whole idea of stand-up is to entertain people. And if you've got an audience in front of you, I guess the idea is to try and entertain them, you know, but he's kind of saying there are some people that my stuff is just not for and to try and entertain those people when I know it's not for them, I'm doing myself a disservice and I'm doing the people who actually would like my stuff a disservice as well. And, um, fuck, it's really cool, man. And I don't know that I really have any idea who my shit is for, but I just was, I was reading the book and then on the train on the way back from work just now, I was thinking about the opening section of my show where I set up what I'm trying to do. And there's two stories that I've been thinking about that I think explain what I'm trying to do the first one is the story that I've told on here before about the guy who I was uh went to buy the piano case from at the piano store and and he was condescending to me and then I explained the show to him and he said oh, I was like it's me doing stand-up comedy about the classical music and he went oh is that funny and it made me really angry and I've been trying to write a bit where I express that anger and it's not going that well but then the other story that I have that I haven't done on stage yet that I've been thinking about is about how I went to the comedy store and did my set in front of whatever, 150, 200 people and the pedal didn't work. And the reactions that so many, even comics, but also just people in the audience and whoever, whenever I said to them afterwards, the pedal didn't work, they reassured me, they thought they were reassuring me by going, oh, we can't even tell the difference. But every time I played it without the pedal and then with the pedal for people, immediately they knew the difference. And um, I can tell that they, like, people go, oh, we can't even tell the difference. And it's like, yeah, but if I play it without the pedal, people's reactions are like, oh, wow, that's so impressive. But it's like, no, this music isn't, it's not impressive. You know what's impressive? Fucking juggling is impressive. Doing a handstand is impressive. This music isn't impressive. It's not supposed to be impressive. It's supposed to fucking uplift your soul. And, um, yeah. And so when that guy goes like, is that funny? It's like, I don't even know that it's supposed to be funny either. Like being funny, it's a part of it. But like, I'm not trying to make you laugh. I will make you laugh because I am funny but that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do, uh, here's here's the point. Fuck, I'm trying to figure out the point of this bit. 
the um, I can tell that people don't have an appreciation for the music because and people people think they know what classical music is and that's reflected in people going we can't tell the difference right but as soon as i play it for you without the pedal and then with the pedal you can tell the difference and in that moment is the beginnings of the understanding that you don't know you think you know but you actually don't know what classical music is and what this music is and how beautiful it is you've never really actually listened to it before and people listen to classical people think about classical music and they're like oh yeah it's just like good to study too you know it's like oh it's it's so relaxing but it's like it's actually more than that but we don't let it be more than that we only accept it as background noise but it should be more than that and so when you say is this show funny or is you know whatever it's like it's not that's not the point of the show that's part of it but the point of the show, it's like it, it might not be funny, but it will inspire you and change your perceptions of something and make you feel connected to what it is to be human and to live life. All right. All right. So let's get to work. That's going to be, I think that, I think some form of that. And then just the line, got it? Like, or, you know, maybe I'll even go like, and if you're fucking lucky. Maybe there'll be a few little jokes in there for you if you need that, if that's what you need. Something like that, right? To take that attitude with the audience and then to be like, but it'll uplift you, it'll inspire you, it'll show you something about life. Got it? All right? Great. Now let's get to work. Frederick Chopin. (laughs) And to start the show like that. I think that could be really interesting and good. Um, to round off the opening 10. I'm thinking about that. And I was just thinking about that on the way home because um, that feels like like Stuart Lee always talks about his character, you know, and when he slips into the role of his character, whatever that is, he's really not afraid of the audience just straight up not liking him because he understands what he's trying to do. So I guess with that bit, what I would be trying to do is go, I'm like, I'm going all in. I'm not being coy about my aims with the show. My aims with the show are as high as possible. I'm not aiming for like pretty good or entertaining or whatever. I'm aiming for the best fucking show you've ever seen. And I'm going to state that aim at the beginning and then people have a choice, you know, to either go with me and go, all right, man, let's see what you got. Or to go, this guy's delusional. But hopefully by that point, 10 minutes in, they've seen enough to be like, you know what? All right, man, I'm going to go with you. And by the end of the show, I hope to have met that, that claim. And it's really throwing down the gauntlet to myself and to the audience, you know? but I think the music is enough to carry me through. I just, I like that idea of really setting the stakes really high of going like, I'm going to do this incredible thing and you're going to watch me do it. So fucking listen up. Yeah. (sighs) Listen up is the title for this week's podcast. Listen 
up with an exclamation mark. It's got to be with an exclamation mark, doesn't it? <sighs> now let's talk about bombing because that's the fear. That leads me very well into another story. The last story, probably. I bombed on my tour today for fucking... Let me... <laughs> this fucking tour today was just a nightmare. I had... Um, I hope none of them are listening. I'm sure they're not. I mean, they were all lovely people, but they all just combined to make a very annoying experience for me. <laughs> there were six kind of older, like 60, 70 year old people, three couples all sat towards the front and they were not shy about telling me how I should run the day, you know, from very early on. They were um, telling me that I should, uh, when people were late back to the bus, they were like, honk the horn. And I'm like, what's that going to do? Like, you know, they're like, you should do this. Or you should tell them, you should tell them that you'll just leave. What I would do, it's like, all right, man, whatever. They were frustrated. They've had a lot of money to be on the tour. I understand. All of this behavior, I understand, but it was very annoying. So there's that. Then there was this Romanian couple and the guy at the start of the day came up to me all flustered and freaking out in broken English, like, oh, just in my face. And it turns out he didn't, they hadn't bought their tickets and they were trying to, but they couldn't on the website and could I do it for them? And I was like, just fucking get on the bus and we'll figure it out. So I got them on the bus. And then there was uh, this Brazilian guy who again was very chatty, but over the course of the day, he sat right up front next to me and his voice was really loud and his conversation was just not very interesting we talked about football for a while and that was cool but after a while even that was kind of boring and it was just like man you just won't shut up hey and um so we get to the first stop and then the romanian guy comes up to me and he, he doesn't have any phone credit so he can't call the office to pipe buy the tickets so i have to fucking wait by the bus and i'm hungry I'm like eating my lunch or my breakfast, morning tea or whatever while I call the office and then he can't even read his credit card details out properly. So I have to read them out for him because he's just, a, you know, he's Romanian. <laughs> whatever. And uh, and then once I do that, he goes, no, we haven't. He kept saying all day, he kept going, we are, no, this is the situation. <laughs> And coming to me with more frantic fucking, you know. Now, we have another situation. <laughs> and he goes like, do you know anywhere where I can do scuba diving? What do you know about that? And I'm just like, motherfucker, I'm not your travel agent, all right? I'm driving the bus. I don't know if you've seen this thing behind me, but I'm driving that for 15 hours today. So, sorry I can't book a scuba diving trip for you tomorrow. <laughs> So there's that and then through the day, loud voice Brazilian guy keeps chatting to me and then at one of the stops, the six old people <laughs> all kind of separately bailed me up and were like, you need to tell that guy to shut the fuck up because <laughs> he's really annoying us 
And then as that was happening, another guy was like worried that he was going to throw up. And I, oh, so he was just like, I was dealing with that. And he was like, I feel better now. And I was like, nah, dude, the Great Ocean Road's getting even windier than that. So I had to walk him to the chemist to make sure that he got like car sickness medicine so they didn't vomit all over my fucking bus. Oh, it was just a nightmare. There were a lot of tensions. I bombed. I felt like I was bombing. I haven't bombed one of these yet. I've fucking bombed today, mate. Anyway, here's another bomb. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, we had a garage sale at my house and I smashed up the jigsaw puzzle that I had done in my room. I was going to stick it on my wall, but I decided not to. And instead, I decided to flip it over, write a message on the back and then smash it up and sell it to someone at the garage sale. With, let's be honest, intentions of meeting the love of my life. <laughs> These, uh, this is just, fuck, that's actually so embarrassing. But if I'm honest, that's genuinely a part of it. Um, you know, I'm scared to walk up to a girl at a bar and ask her what her name is. So instead, let me do a jigsaw puzzle and write a letter on the back of it and hope that someone buys it. <laughs> you know what the funniest thing is? Anyway, I'll read what I wrote on the back of it and then I, I think I've, yeah. Um, all right. So I wrote, hello. I wrote the date, 24.01.20 which is I write the dates backwards and then I realized that was confusing. So I put a 20 before the 2024. I write year, month, day. So the 20th of January, 2024. I do that because then if you, if you use that as a file name and then sort by alphabetical order, it sorts by date. All right, that's why I do that. Hello, congratulations on completing the puzzle and thank you for buying it. If you got it for less than $20, then congratulations again for talking me down. I must have lost my nerve. During the lockdowns, I lived in a lovely two-bedroom house in Brunswick with a strange man who I will regrettably admit now absolutely sucked. Throughout the long, lo lonely winter of 2021, my only joy was to sit in my room with the door closed, drinking tea and doing puzzles while listening to podcasts. In a desperate attempt to connect with literally anyone, I flipped over one of the completed puzzles and wrote a message on the back, including my email at the end. I can only assume from the lack of any correspondence that the person I gave it to lost interest, which is incredibly upsetting. And while it may be that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, I would argue that doing the same thing twice and hoping the second time is better falls more under the category of persistence. Bravery even. Heroism? Who am I to say? Prove me right. AJTakito at gmail.com. My name is Aidan Jones. So that was the message that I wrote on the back. And um, like I said before, it is embarrassing that a part of me was hoping that a girl would buy that puzzle and do that and then email me and we would start some kind of, you know, <laughs> storybook romance. Fuck, I'm an idiot. Anyway, one, no one bought it. And two... The funny thing is that the first puzzle I gave away, I actually did give to a friend of a friend who was a girl and we did end up sleeping together for like two months. All right? So, <laughs> as much as that is a stupid idea and I'm a loser, <laughs> actually, 
It actually did work the first time. (laughs) Fuck. All right. That's the podcast. You guys rock. Thank you very much for listening. This has been Aiden Jones sitting under a tree. Peace.